Eye on the Arctic, Views from the North, I'm Alish Quinn. Now, all year long, Eye on the Arctic brings you news and newsmakers from around the North. But as 2018 draws to a close, we're turning our eye on this year's media coverage. And we're doing that with some of our expert Eye on the Arctic bloggers. And we wanted to get their take on this year's Arctic news, what the media got right, what we got wrong, what we might be missing, and what might be important to keep our eye on in the year ahead. Now, in this installment, we've reached Mia Bennett. She runs the Cryopolitics blog. It's a news and analysis blog on the Arctic, and it's featured regularly on Eye on the Arctic. And she's also an assistant professor at the University of Hong Kong. And we've joined her in Hong Kong today. Mia Bennett, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. And um, for for the first to get into this, you've been running an Arctic news and analysis blog for over 10 years now. When you look at Arctic news coverage in 2018, has it changed compared to prior years? Is it more of the same sort of how would you characterize how the Arctic was portrayed globally in the media this year? You know, I think this year we are starting to see perhaps finally more coverage of a range of issues than in the past, Um, lots of different topics being covered. So what I've noticed is the stories are no longer just about climate change and even just oil and gas extraction anymore, but you're starting to see more stories featuring topics like the rise of China and also um, quite insightful pieces on indigenous communities, for instance. So um, one story that comes to mind was just in National Geographic last month on really the kind of um, wonderful diversity of Alaska Native communities. So there were photos of people just hanging out in the sauna, playing around, chopping muktuk, whale blubber. And I think it's stories like these that really help to put a, a you know human face on the Arctic. And the story was also rather happy for a change rather than just another um, kind of depressing story of climate change adaptation or the kind of colonial trauma these communities have been going through, which of course seem to be told. But, you know, there's other um, stories that I think are finally getting out, which is um, really nice to see. And it's an important point as well, because uh, as you mentioned, if we go back 10 years ago, often the Arctic was covered as if there was nobody living there. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So now there's, I think, acknowledgement, yeah, that there's 4 million people living in the Arctic and um, that they have, you know, just as diverse lives as people living south of the Arctic Circle. And what about um, if we looked at the coverage in 2018, was there one or two top Arctic stories that you want to highlight for, for our listeners? Yeah, I think probably the first big story I'd highlight was at the beginning of the year, and that was when um, the Chinese government released their Arctic policy. Um, So this definitely attracted a lot of attention for good reason. Um, This is the first time that China has really formalized its policy up north, and it talks about the government's interest in Arctic science, uh, protecting the environment, developing Arctic resources, and kind of getting involved in the governance of the Arctic. So it really shows in a way that China's here to stay in a very formal way. Um, but I think this has provoked, on the one hand, from the media, a certain degree of, I would say, somewhat un- unwarranted xenophobia. So one headline that was there, I think, with the Wall Street Journal said something like, there's a new Cold War, China's declaring itself to be a near-Arctic state. So, you know, you're seeing these tropes repeat themselves of Cold Wars in the Arctic, only now it's China, who's the bogeyman and not Russia. So, you know, this is a big story, but I think the reaction was a little bit over the top and um, not just even from the media, but another kind of related story was the decision in Greenland to um, accept funding for the airports it wants to revamp and build up from the Danish government rather than potentially accept a loan from China. Um, 
And there's rumors that the Greenlandic government did this under pressure from Copenhagen and also the U.S. So I think, you know, there's a lot of worry about what China's going to do now and in the future in the Arctic. And we're seeing that play out in different ways, both in the media and politically. So that was certainly a big story this year. Did you have a second one? Yeah, I think probably a second one um, I might highlight is just the fact that, um, you know, climate change, of course, it's it's a big story in the Arctic. It still needs to be um, told, even though there are other elements, as I pointed out, to um, storytelling in the Arctic. But, you know, what happened this year was that um, some of the oldest, thickest sea ice, part of the so-called permanent ice pack north of Greenland, melted this year, which is um, something, you know, a phenomenon that hasn't really been seen before. Um, I think this part of the ice sheet has generally been called the last ice area and was seen as some sort of place that wouldn't really ever defrost. But now you're having open water touching the north coast of Greenland, which is, I think, for scientists, something quite shocking and quite scary to see. Um, you know, I, re- I recall one glaciologist describing it um, as, as really kind of something going into overdrive, the melting of the ice pack up there and the Greenland ice sheet as well, just happening at rates that we haven't seen. And every year this gets more and more worrisome, I think. Well, some some big stories. Um, what about was, was there anything that you felt that, that a story or an issue that got overlooked in 2018, but that shouldn't have been? I think one story that I just thought was really um, touching and wonderful was the fact that a project funded by um, the Arct- a working council within the Arctic, a working group within the Arctic Council. Um, a cookbook project called Iyalu won um, the best cookbook award of the year at um, this kind of quite prestigious international cookbook award program. And I think that's just like really cool because it shows that the Arctic Council is doing good work. And it also shows to the world that, you know, this region that people a decade ago didn't think had any inhabitants was kind of devoid of life, actually has lots of people who cook really tasty food. And I think the fact that this cookbook could win such a prestigious award is really testament to the efforts of the Arctic Council and of the people living in the Arctic to kind of um, put their culture on on the world stage in a way. And so this is just really exciting little story. And also, I'm sure the cookbook would make a wonderful um, Christmas present. So <laughs> very good to mention. One issue I think that got overlooked. Um, and also an interesting yeah. one with that as well is it was really pan-Arctic. We had indigenous people from Russia, the Nordics, North America. It was really everywhere. Um, and we, we don't often see sort of a pan-Arctic culture presented uh, in that way. Exactly. That's a great point to add. You know, it's something that goes against this narrative of the Arctic as being a kind of clash between different nations and borders up there. But instead, you see indigenous peoples working across these very borders. So a really um, uplifting story, I think. And uh, looking ahead now to to 2019, what is going to be um, grabbing your attention? What are you curious about? And what should our listeners be sort of watching for as Arctic news unfolds in the new year? Yeah, I think there's a number of developments that could happen next year. Um, probably the first one that comes to mind is I think there's going to be the potential for ever more resource development. Um, on the one hand, um, you know, one, one other story I might have highlighted in terms of not really getting a lot of attention was this year um, the Mary River iron ore mine on Baffinland in uh, Nunavut had a record year for shipping out iron ore. Um, so this is the largest ever shipping program undertaken in the Canadian High Arctic, and you had iron ore not only going to Europe, but also to Asia this year. Um, and quite surprisingly, that iron ore didn't go to the Northwest Passage, but rather went all the way to Asia from Canada via the Northern Sea Route. 
And I think um, the company operating this mine, Baffin Land, they want to further scale up um, iron ore shipping next summer. So I think we're really starting to see um, resources far beyond oil and gas getting actually developed in um, in the north and being connected into Asian markets. So this is something to certainly watch for next year. Um, kind of related to that, but a little bit more hypothetically, might be whether or not we see the Trump administration issue leases um, in the Arctic National Wildlife Re- Refuge next year. Um, I think this is still up in the air. A lot is riding on whether um, the um, government can carry out seismic surveys that are necessary before leasing can happen. And I think there's been a lot of controversy over those um, over with those surveys and whether they might harm polar bears. So we'll see if those can go ahead and then in turn if leasing can happen. But something certainly to keep an eye on in Alaska. Um, just a couple other stories maybe that will be interesting to note are China, um, as it becomes a bigger player in the Arctic, we're going to see next year it will launch its um, first uh, home-built icebreaker. So it already has one, but now it will put the Snow Dragon or Shuilong 2 into service. So we'll be seeing that um, probably sailing in Arctic and Antarctic waters sometime next year. And then uh, just the last story probably is, of course, we're now it's 2019 coming up and we'll have the Arctic Council ministerial convening in Rovaniemi, Finland, as that country hands over to Iceland. And I think with the start of the Icelandic chairmanship, we'll start to see more of a focus probably on the oceans and the coast Arctic, Iceland being a coastal, well, Iceland being an Arctic island that some might say that Iceland would claim to be a coastal Arctic state. Others say it's not really Mm -hmm. quite touching the Arctic Circle, but really more of a focus on maritime issues as opposed to what Finland's done. So interesting kind of geographic shifts there to watch for. And uh, is there anything in terms of the the Arctic Council ministerial that, um, you know, are you expecting a big deliverable or are you still sort of watching to wait and see sort of what we might be able to expect? Um, yeah, I'll probably be watching to, to wait and see. I haven't been keeping up too closely with um, what the Finnish chairmanship has done. I know they've put a lot of emphasis on climate change, um, education, connectivity. But in terms of a deliverable, um, I'll, be, I'll be closely following to see what happens there in Rovaniemi. As all of us that cover the Arctic. <laughs> Mia <laughs> Bennett, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with us today. And, and we look forward to checking with you in the new year to sort of see how these stories are unfolding. Great. Thanks, Lisa.